Are you ready to free the body and free the soul? Join Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, as he guides us on today's journey. Here's Dr. David. Welcome, friends. Dr. David, the cutting edge doc, here once again. And the upcoming conversation with Patricia Albert is quite unique. Patricia is a spiritual explorer and guide, and her current focus is something that she calls mutual awakening. And the best way I can introduce mutual awakening is to have you imagine what might be the next stage of human relatedness. Once people are treating each other with respect, once people are supporting each other in their goals and purposes and caring about each other, what might be the next phase of expression of possibility in the area of human relationship? And that leads us into the fascinating topic of mutual awakening. Enjoy this fascinating interview with Patricia Albert. Welcome, friends. Welcome to another edition of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. This is Dr. David, the Cutting Edge Doc, and I'll be your host for today's show. I'm very excited about today's conversation. It's been a long time in the making, and we're going to be speaking with Patricia Albert. And before I bring Patricia into the conversation, I want to share a little bit about my sense of Patricia and also read you her bio. So, you know, I've met a lot of people and I know about a lot of people and I know about a lot of people's journeys, their spiritual journeys. And of all the people that I know and all the people that I know about, my particular spiritual journey and Patricia Albert's particular spiritual journey have more in common than anybody with me than anybody that I know. We've both been profoundly influenced by a teacher named Werner Earhart. We've both been profoundly influenced by a spiritual teacher named Hamid Ali that writes by the pen name A.H. Almas. We've both been deeply influenced by uh, a uh, system and a tool for knowledge and knowing called the Enneagram, spelled E-N-N-E-A-G-R-A-M. And we both have been profoundly impacted and moved by and value highly uh, intimate personal relationships for healing and for transformation. So it's uh, almost spooky how how our paths have paralleled. And uh, so I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time. Let me give you a little bio information about Patricia, which she sent me. I'll just read it to you. Patricia Albert is at ground zero of an evolutionary stream of spiritual awakening, one in which we learn to go beyond individual psychology and transformation into a new space of mutual awakening or interbeing or we mysticism. She's the founder and director of the Evolutionary Collective and an internationally known contemporary spiritual teacher and author. Her unique discovery of the essential components that create an awakened we space is transforming our understanding 
of what is possible in the space between us and in creating new fields of higher collective consciousness. Her work creates a powerful field of shared consciousness that reveals previously unimagined potentials for human development that can and is moving humanity far beyond the limits of personal growth. She's worked with over 150,000 people in groups in the last 40 years. Her mastery as a transformative teacher is now innovating a new field of intersubjective awakening and post-personal development. Wow. <laughs> my goodness, that took my breath away. There was one sentence there that I just wanted to read over and over. Let me go back to it. Um, oh, here it is. Her unique discovery of the essential components that create an awakened we space. That was that line. And... Mm -hmm. uh, well, before I yak any further, Patricia, welcome to the call. Thank you, David. That was a beautiful introduction. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, this we space is really what I sense the conversation is going to embody and focus on. And, you know, I think about the metaphor of uh, a gardener in the sense that, you know, the ultimate power of, you know, what what allows the plants to grow and all of that and, and flourish is, you know, not in the personal uh, control of the gardener. And yet the gardener is critical for creating the conditions that foster uh, a flourishing garden. And, um, you know, that's to me, you know, points to one of the great mysteries of being human is mm -hmm. the role that we play in co-creation. And so, I'm very excited both personally in, you know, to be having this conversation with you and also in terms of representing the audience here to really dive into you and your journey. And maybe you can speak to your story a little bit in the context of how it led to this fascination with and study of and uh, eventually, you know, on the road to mastery here of being that kind of gardener for the awakened we space. Hmm. Well, first of all, I love your the metaphor because it really um, definitely speaks to the way I see it. You know, I mean, to me, the kind of teacher that I am, for lack of a better term, is probably more like a gardener. So rather than being a um, sort of didactic, you know, somebody who's disseminating knowledge or even not that there isn't transmission, but it's more of the cultivation of what happens in the field for people. Um, so that's that's a good one. I like that. So, yeah, for me, it's been a long journey, um, which it sounds like we've shared, you know, some of the stopping points along the way. And um Living now again in the Bay Area, I moved to Sausalito uh, for, mo for you know, I, I live a little bit in New York, but I'm, I'm living more in California. And I lived here, you know, in the 70s when I was a teenager 
So the whole the whole journey started with meeting Warner when I was very young and working with um, the founder of Aston Landmark uh, for 12 years. And the opportunity to work intensively in the domain of, you know, what it what allows for human beings to truly transform their lives and then also working with groups. So I'd work with anywhere from 30 to 3000 people a night depending on what the event was or what the course was that I was leading. And, you know, that Malcolm Gladwell finally helped me make sense of, of my skill in the area. Cause you know, even if you're an idiot, if you have 10,000, 20,000 hours of getting up in front of people and, you know, needing to, to be effective in having the space produce a kind of transformation in people's lives, you know, you, you figure it out. I mean, you definitely figure it out if you get to do that every night of the week. So uh, the foundation for the work that I'm doing now is, I would say, started there and having a, you know, a real love of and discovery of, of the dimensions of when you work with a group. You know, there's a whole thing, you know, that's different than working one-on-one. When you have, you know, anything, like I said, from 30 people to presenting something to very, very large groups, you know, most of the time it was more like two to 300 people that I was working with. And you learn a lot, you know, you learn a lot about this field, you know, that there's something, even when people are working on themselves individually inside of a group, so they're there for their own personal transformation, there's something, there's a phenomena of this, this group field that is very palpable and, and very, very, um, it's very interesting how you can affect it and how you need to hold it. You know, there's, there's actually a sense of, of you have to expand your beingness to actually hold the space with everyone in it. And there's some relationship to the mystery and, you know, there's, there's a whole, you know, confluence of, of things that occurs when you've worked with groups in a, in an ongoing way, you know, where you have people over time that something needs to be happening for. So I had that as a, you know, sort of as a starting point and then, you know, left working with Warner at uh, 12 years into it and, and had a baby and continued my journey, um, with Osho. And like you said, almost, and, you know, I created a mastery program in the Enneagram and, um, have just continued to work with, for the most part, um, very high functioning, very committed people. And along the way, you know, it's been amazing. And, you know, the, the spiritual part of the journey um, really compelled me um, since, since the point that I left Warner. You know, there was a certain spirituality in that, but, but it's, it's gone uh, much deeper. And in the middle of that, so I have to skip back for a second, um, when I was in my 30s, I met a mystical, um, a beautiful man who was eight years younger and who was German and who was, who was a mystic. Uh, I don't even know if I knew the definition of the word mystic, but I knew he was a mystic when I met him. And he was very, very committed to um, being awakened and he was very meditative and very intense. And we fell in love. And through the sort of East meets West kind of um, two places that we were coming from in the love that we had for each other, 
and the way that we were very surrendered into a, you know, a certain way of being with one another that was pretty unusual. We were taken for, we were together for four years before he died, and we were taken into a, what I call now a mutual awakening. You know, there was a consciousness that was intensely present and continued to be present with us, you know, 24-7. It was very unusual and very beautiful and very compelling and very intense and, you know, was sort of shattering our egos and taking us places that I, I had never imagined in love that you could ever even experience. So when he died, um, he was in a car accident and then eventually was brain injured and, and committed suicide. You know, obviously you have the, you know, any human being like the, the, the loss of someone that you're that, that you love that much and that you're so in love with is, is already, you know, a kind of horrifying tragedy to, to work your way through. Um, but simultaneously, you know, I had had this shared awakening, like we were inside of a kind of consciousness together continuously. Um, we were psychically connected all the time. I could feel him. He could feel me. You know, we were like inside a shared sort of symbiotic awakening. And so when he died, I was also left with a hyper sensitivity to this sense of being connected to kind of to everything but I was also incredibly connected to him and I just, I was just a wreck. I mean, I didn't know how to hold any of it. And, um, it was very, very difficult and nobody knew what to do with me really. So, um, you know, so I sort of kept finding my way through that and I had a young son. So, you know, you have to kind of keep it together when you're a mother. Um, and then I continued to study and work and, you know, met, came into diamond heart, which was very helpful um, with some of the healing around this. And, you know, so that seemed like my personal, not problem, but a certain journey. And so I didn't, I didn't necessarily have what I went through with Peter directly connecting to the work that I was doing with people. Um, you know, maybe indirectly it did, but, but it, you know, there wasn't some, it was more my personal healing that I was dealing with. And about 10 years ago, I had worked with so many people and had, you know, taught the Enneagram and, and, and worked a lot with, you know, people's personal transformation in groups and something just felt like it was over, David. I was just, something was, even though I love people and I loved working, like I just somehow couldn't, I was like, well, where's, where's the new, you know, where's the new paradigm? Like when I met Werner and in 1971, and there was something exploding about personal and individual you know, growth and development, um, at least in America. And, and so I stopped teaching for about two years and then slowly different things started to come through that there was a, a way to come together that wasn't about our personal work on our, on ourselves. And that's when what I had gone through with Peter, you know, I felt like I was, I was in the middle of a joke. Like, you know, somebody tells you a joke and you just don't get the punchline and you're kind of going, this isn't funny. You know, I don't, I don't get this at all. And I felt like I was in a 20 year joke that I could not get the punchline for. I never could understand, like, why did I go through this? Like, what was that all about really? And, um, at that point I realized that what Peter and I had gone through, there was something about that that had to do with this new paradigm. Like there's a new, 
direction that consciousness is moving in, which has to do with this collective awakening, and that I had actually been thrust into that experience, at least on a dual level, so that I would have it, so that when this time would this time came, you know, I might actually have something to contribute to the this paradigm, you know, this paradigm unfolding. So that's when I started doing this work and sort of experimenting and seeing what was possible. And, you know, something's really happening. So does that. That I think that's a great first pass <laughs> to give me and to give the listeners a general overview. And there are a lot of places I'd like to dive in if that's sure, okay. Yeah, anything. Okay. Well, first of all, it seems obvious to me that the tantric sensibilities that you were refining with Peter and your sensitivity to energy and to space and to context, not just in the abstract, but but how that translates in terms of dynamism and motion and energy and movement. Mm -hmm. It seems like that was your perfect crucible. That was your perfect um, incubator for for what you're doing now in the application of those sensitivities and possibilities into relationships that aren't necessarily overtly sexual. Right, or a lover, right. Yeah, it's, it's uh, taking the, the understanding of love um, beyond the, the options that we were given in our culture. Well, it's interesting. I, you know, I feel like one of those, you know, when they, they have um, those children that see Mary, you know, they see um, the Virgin Mary in the sky or, you know, they're, they're given visitations because they're kind of pure. Like they don't really, you know, they couldn't make that up because they don't really know anything about it. Right. I feel a little bit like that. <laughs> like for me with Peter, I didn't really know what the definition of a mystic was. I had never heard of Tantra. Um, I didn't know about any of it. I mean, I had been in the transformational world, you know, of making a difference and the Hunger Project and, you know, you, you know the world I was in. And so I, I was with Peter, we were taken continuously, you know, it was a 24 seven thing, not just like when we were making love. And, and even in making love, like we never tried to do anything. Do you know what I mean? We were just wholeheartedly exactly with whatever was present. And it led to, um, and we never cared. Like however it was, we were just totally there for it. So it could be silly. It could be profound. Like you couldn't even believe it. You, you know, it was like all over the map. And then eventually, because we had no, you know, we had no intention of it being some way or we weren't looking into each other's eyes or breathing or doing any of the things that supposedly people do in Tantra is we were just taken into a continuous space where, you know, he didn't need to have orgasms and my hands would start doing these weird things that I found out were mudras. And I mean, all these kinds of wild things would happen that, that, that neither one of us were trying to make happen. Well, you know, as you're talking, it seems like your thinking mind 
you know, didn't really know what was going on. Like at that level, this was all new to you, but it's obvious to me that, you know, at a soul level, you were tapping into something that you had been trained for, something that you were able to hold, something you were able to be with. And it's almost like your your thinking mind was the last to know. Yeah, it was. I think it was that, David, but it was also, I think there was a real intention on, you know, the mysteries part that it was so pure and it was so unconcepted. Do you know yes. what I mean? It wasn't, it, we, we were not shaping it at all. And what I was given was the fact that, and one of the ways that I'm working with people now, which is, has been incredible and simple is that I'm clear that you don't have to manipulate anything that if you absolutely. And that, 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 that mystery to me is the, is the paradox of surrender. Right. And as you say, no intent to manipulate or to, um, or to guide from that personal will space. And yet there is a very active, responsible kind of listening and a very active willingness to respond. Sure. Right. Yeah. No, I'm just saying that I think that part of the intention from something larger was to have what was occurring be so fresh and to not have any overlays of, of anything. Um, and then we were shown how we were being with one another. You know, the way we were turned towards one another was what was powerful. Right. You know, there was a way that we were being um, aligned in our, in our, you know, wanting to just be with the truth. Like we were so into, like whatever was there was what we wanted to be close to. And we were both very wholehearted in that. And, you know, there were a number of other things that, you know, that I've sort of, you know, that I've taught and, and put together, but that, and then, and that we awakened these two not enlightened people sort of had, had a really sustained awakening together was also nothing I had ever heard of, you know, and, you know, usually Tantra or, or when you have, you know, sort of on the high levels are usually it's an enlightened, a relatively enlightened person with a consort and they're, you know, activating higher and more intense levels of energies and awakenings sort of intentionally. You know, this was so not the case. And so I think it was that was there to disrupt me sufficiently so that when the time came for a cultural shift, like something was ready to happen, that that I would have something um, possibly to contribute that came from this disruption in my life. Beautiful. That does seem to be the case. So, um, one one thing question that I have that uh, maybe you can enlighten me on is, I have noticed that as time goes on, and I really am present with the impact that I'm having on my patients and my students, that. I'm wanting to work more in a combination of individual 
and group work. And mm -hmm. the individual work is basically designed to get people to a place where they can access the value of working in a group. That, you know, in my experience, if somebody is significantly out of balance physically or psychologically, they're, they're not really available to access this potential we space. And then um, I find that if I have a few people in a group that I am, that I have been working with for a while individually that can help to hold that space, um, then when I work in a group that the potentials of that we space seem to show up more fully for me. And I, I have noticed that. Mm -hmm. And an area that is still a mystery to me, and it's been a source of frustration, but right now I, I'm not so frustrated with it. I'm just kind of curious about it, is that um, in all the years that I've been teaching and healing and speaking and writing, and of all all the contributions that I have been a part of. Um, I have not uh, been a part of a process with many people where they seem to step as fully into um, the potentials of being or self that I have. Mm -hmm. And so there's still that, there's still that teacher student thing that on one hand, I think there's a part of that that is appropriate and that there is a place for that and a place for that kind of transmission. And yet the kind of space that we're sharing right now as as equals, not just um, not just at an ultimate being level, but you know, at a level level of fellow travelers on the path. Mm -hmm. This is something that has still been missing for me, and I think part of what moves me to have these cutting edge conversations with people that are doing cutting edge work in the areas of healing and spirituality and social transformation is that I, I want that. I want that, you know, there's an old expression, the sun is also a star, mm -hmm. you know, and I've spent so much time being the sun to the planets Mm -hmm. And that's just one way of being and one way of looking at it. But the sun uh -huh. is also a star, uh -huh. also part of a constellation of suns. Yeah. And my intention to foster and ignite suns so that that other aspect of, of what can show up, shows up, uh, whatever it takes for me to be in a way that that happens for me, that still doesn't happen a lot unless I'm having conversations like this. Mm -hmm. But in terms of with my students and with my patients, somehow that's not happening very often. And when it does happen, it seems like 
I'm kind of surprised and I don't quite know how it happened and it doesn't hasn't happened a lot yet. And so I think that's why I was so intrigued by that one sentence in your bio mm -hmm. about your intensive focus and study on what helps to foster that kind of we space. And um, if you could speak to that, uh, either now or later yeah. in the conversation, I would really appreciate it. Yeah, totally. No, it's it's perfect because what you're presencing isn't just for you. I mean, I'm sure that, that, you know, the kind of people that would be listening to this, you know, from your audience, you know, are are in a similar, it's almost like there's a pain point. You know, there's there's something that many people at this point, you know, not not everybody, but there's got to be at least, you know, a couple million people on the planet who have, you know, done a fair amount of work. Um, you know, they've been paying attention to their own growth and development and, you know, have had maybe intense spiritual awakenings. And, you know, they're, no, they're not perfect by any means, but, you know, they're humble enough to kind of know where they are in the scheme of it all. But, but there's a lot of, of development and there's a longing to come together. There's, there's a desire, like some part of us knows that if we can come together and be met, you know, what you're speaking about is you want to be met. You're longing for that experience of like, of symmetry, actually. Um, one of the, one of the pieces that I teach that has to do with one of the activating principles of this consciousness. Um, so is, is called has to do with mutuality, um, and it and it's got to do with symmetry and asymmetry. And basically, an asymmetrical relationship is what you're saying as the, you know, the person who's the teacher with a student or a client. You know, you're there to kind of regulate them. So you're holding the space of of what's needed, so that if if there's regulation or harmony or advice or challenge or activation, you're basically providing that in the situation and. Um, that's one kind of relatedness. And it's like you said, it's valuable and it's important and it's good to know, like even in a, even in a friendship, you know, even if when, the, when there's a lot of symmetry, you know, there's a lot of, of space where you can kind of meet each other, you know, it might be like you and I, maybe you're like a really good tennis player and I'm sort of pathetic. You know, if we go to play tennis, it's not going to be a symmetrical meeting, you know, it'll be you being very patient with me trying to get the ball back. But there's a meta context that goes beyond tennis of what we're being. Yes. And that that equality and the recognition of that equality and and exploring what can be done with that recognition of that equality when it's alive. That's what really interests me. Correct. But what I'm saying, just to make the example of the symmetry, asymmetry, part of what you and I, I, I assert that there are millions of people like ourselves that are that know that if I can meet and be with other people that can meet me, that we can meet each other on that sort of deep being level, you know, we're willing to really go for it. We're willing to give ourselves fully. You know, we have a certain level of consciousness and we can disidentify with certain, you know, parts of our egos, et cetera, so that, you know, we can really meet each other like Peter and I did. Peter and I met fully. 
and we gave ourselves to one another from the deepest place we knew. And, you know, the, the, what, what was created from that was, was wild and huge and, you know, unforgettable. So part of what I'm doing, you know, it's for people like yourself. It's like for the people who are ready, who, who know that somehow the next stage of what is going to be created is not you being more brilliant or not you even teaching more or you making a difference in the lives of other people. I mean, it doesn't mean that we're not going to keep doing that, but there's something about coming together in the depth of who we are that's like that's going to make a new kind of baby. It's like we almost need to come together as the multiple beloveds. So instead of just the beloved that I experienced with Peter, it actually what I found out was that there was something more. And we have over 100 people that are in this very committed, um, ongoing evolutionary collective, you know, where people <clears throat> are in it for at least a year or more. <clears throat> Excuse me. And there are people who, you know, in varying degrees are ready, committed to come together to sort of make these new creations out of our being together. And there's actually a larger being that's coming into form through the nervous system of, of us. Like we're the nervous system. Right. Right. And it's real and it's not a weekend and it's not just a, some virtual, you know, event. It's ongoing. We meet, you know, physically four times a year for three days. And then we have different practices with each other. And the whole thing is like, you know, it's like you can feel the nervous system of this larger consciousness of this very particular being that we are really caring for and learning how to stay oriented towards. And it's crazy. It is so exciting um, what's happening. And people's consciousness is changing. Their sense of separation is dissolving. Um, we're, people's lives are really being uplifted. So the certain kind of density and drama and you know, the certain things that, that, you know, we drag our feet with in our lives, those things seem to be being activated and moved without people being all about themselves. You know, I mean, what, what you have to give up to do this, this level of work is to, to have your sort of all of your time and energy be about your own self-concern. So you have to sort of be able to, or be, you know, like you said, it has to be appropriate to be able to give a certain amount of your focus and energy towards facilitating this larger being to come into being because it needs us. It needs people that are not just completely busy with themselves that are, you know, developmentally ready. Yeah. I mean, it's a very radical path because it yeah. really is you're constantly challenged to be with and question uh, what is the I, you know? Right. What? Well, it, it's even, here's the fun. It's like, that's even a path of I. Well, so where we're focusing is, is literally learning practices where we're focusing on the space between and we're learning how to like literally be inside the other person. But that's what I mean. The, the oh. I that is we. Yeah. Right. Okay. You know, the, the, the actual fundamental questioning of the, 
the you that you are that you are to the point where it ultimately questions this um, unconscious assumption of separateness so that you open up to that I that is we. And that's a very radical path. Right. And uh, it, as you say, it requires uh, everything that you think you are. And uh, are you familiar with that famous quote uh, that comes from Robert Durop's book, The Master Game? Oh, I think so. From a long time ago? Yeah. So... Um, that go? Yeah, it... it uh, I'm reminded of that quote as we're speaking, mm. and uh, I'll maybe post that. Find it, yeah. Post that quote on the show notes okay. at cuttingedgeduck.com because, um, for me, you know, it's obvious that the implications of this teaching that you're 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 midwifing here is a very radical teaching, mm-hmm. and. Um, it's radical. Here's the funny thing. The focus is really on falling in love with each other. That's the funny thing. So it's actually so delightful. I mean, when you get people, at least the people that seem to be showing up in, in my world, is when you get people's attention when we're doing the practices and we're focused on this something else, it's so there. It's so available. It so wants to play with us. It's so profound. It's like like when someone falls in love, they're they don't have to work hard, right? And this path or this particular um, way in which this is unfolding is much more like you said. It's 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 really like who, who's in the room matters, you know. So. It has to be people that are ready and that are willing and able and, you know, are ready to, to be able to put a certain amount of their focus of attention on something greater than themselves. Yeah, I think that's really important because, yeah. you know, I know you've seen it. I've seen it. There's so much spiritual bypass going on. Right. These days where people are attempting to prematurely... Um, become very Neptunian and merge with that which is greater uh, as a way of avoiding their personal work. And I think any mature discussion of where your work fits into the world right now has to include a discussion of um, developmental psychology because um, we are where we are. Well, one of the things, one thing too, that if you're meditating a lot and you're by yourself, I think it's easier to do the spiritual bypass because you have no reflection. Human, human relationships are pretty, pretty tough. You know, I mean, as far as, you know, if you want to have some sense of reality of where you're actually at, you just get a bunch of other human beings around you and you start interacting. It's pretty clear if there are things that are missing. Well, that clarity shows up within a certain space. I mean, there's a lot of relationships that are very dysfunctional where two people are just being pretty automatic with each other and yeah. it just loops. But but if there's that space of an intention for something greater, that I mean, for sure yeah. that 
that dysfunctionality starts to reveal itself pretty quickly if there's a space of clarity for that to show up in. Right. Well, here's one of the things that, that um, you know, part of that design element is for people to even be in the, the, the work itself, they have to do a three-day with me, which the three-day consists of there are seven different vectors. Um, you know, vector, a vector is something that points to a particular space. You know, so you need like three vectors to point to like a space in this room. Right. Um, you know, how far down, how far in from the walls, you know, how far up. And these, there are seven vectors for this particular space in consciousness. It's not just any we space. And, and this so is what I was hoping we would get deeply into because this, I think, uh, may be the foundational structure that allows the whole thing to to flourish in the way that it's flourishing. Maybe you could briefly mention the seven vectors. Well, it. I, why don't I mention some of them? You know, I mean, like in some way that it makes some sense. I mean, they're they're actually on the website. So if people go to my website, evolutionarycollective.com, and they go to the course listing page, um, any orientation, Evolutionary Collective orientation, the ones in the fall, it has a list of the vectors on there. Beautiful. Yeah. So, um, but these three days, so I'll, you know, talk a little bit about it, is the whole intent is you have three full days to take people into the reality of these vectors. So you're actually taking them there. So, you know, one of them, which seems simple, but it's more profound than most people think is who's in the room matters. So to do, to work on a collective awakening, to create a collective being, you can't just have anybody in the room. That is so important. It reminds me of a famous <laughs> quote by uh, an author and organizational consultant named Jim Collins, who wrote one of the most famous business books of all time called Good to Great. Uh-huh. And I'm going to paraphrase him, but basically he says that he's basically saying that 80% of success of a group endeavor is getting the right people on the bus in the first place. Yeah. And he says, uh, let's get the right people on the bus and then we'll figure out somewhere to go. Yeah. And uh, that, that lesson is is so true in my experience and also the converse of it how one bad apple so to speak one mm -hmm. dissonant note in the chord can uh, infect the entire system and this brings up an area that i've been studying intensively for years and that is the uh the role of establishing and maintaining appropriate standards and boundaries as an individual cell in the body of humanity and how to uh, accelerate discernment without bringing judgment along the way. That, that whole conversation to me is very rich and very juicy and, and teaching people how to honor themselves and to lovingly say no mm -hmm. when that's appropriate because you're not free to say yes if you're not free to say no. Right. Yeah. Well, there's, there's different 
par I mean, that's one particular paradigm. I mean, the thing that you were just addressing, we handle, I'm trying to think, not in the three-day, but once people get into the group, you know, into the, the year-long. So then there's a year-long. So it's kind of like there's a, there's a long weekend together, you know, if you were thinking of a, a romantic relationship. And then there's an engagement, which is the one year. And then people have an opportunity to, to be in the core, which then they commit to at a year at a time. But they actually have to apply. I mean, it, it, if they've, if developmentally the work, you know, how they've shown up in the year, it seems to me that they're not ready to actually be in the core because the core is going to go even deeper. Then they can either remain in the year long or, um, you know, do something else. So it's, you know, the who's in the room matters, I take very seriously. Yes. Now, and did these, the, did these periodicities of three days, one year, one year, did they kind of emerge organically or did they come from an intuition that you had or was this trial and error? No, it was pretty, I pretty much saw it, you know, but you have to remember, I've worked with 150,000 people in groups. So I have a really good sense of how groups work and how, what, how long it takes to have people go deeper. And, you know, I have some generic knowledge there that's, that's sort of ingrained. Right. So, um, so in the design element of how do you work with people and who should be there and not, and then, you know, it's kind of like what kind of integrity and what does the container need? A lot of that, um, you know, I'm sort of bringing to it from my, from my past or not my past, but you know, the, yeah. having done a lot of that. So, so part of it is in the who's in the room matters in the first year, I also work with Keegan's model um, of higher, higher adult development. And the thing you were just speaking about with boundaries and, you know, people following, not knowing how to say no and staying too embedded in their relationships with other people, you know, we do it from the nervous system of the being. So if you want to have a nervous system in a collective, we are the nervous system, right? So you and I being in it together, we're the, the alive nervous system. And if you're inhibited about really leaning into the truth and being completely interested in connecting with me and, you know, being in the truth together, you're being careful because you don't want anyone to ever feel bad. And let's say I'm being too selfish or direct, then the nervous system's not going to work very well. Right. So a lot of the work in that the first year and beyond is to actually work through these sort of lower levels of adult development that people are embedded in so that they can see them and they can begin to get freer so that we can be in a dance with each other that's really attuned and really alive and very much in the truth and very much our ability to influence each other in the field is not inhibited by our egos. Right. And, you know, how, what people, you know, people's identities and how they feel about themselves and whether they're seen a certain way and all of that stuff is just can't be in the way. It's got to be about something larger. It's like if we were in a jazz thing and I had to acknowledge you every time you played a, a really good riff, I mean, it would just stop what we're doing. Yeah. I mean, or if I was like, oh, I didn't get my chance to play. If we're not, if I'm not lost in the music with you, then we're not happening. Yeah, I know what you mean. I mean, there's so many times I'm in a relationship with someone and possibilities are starting to sprout and then and then the person will get caught up in something and shut it down 
Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, you know, I'm crazy enough as a teacher to take on, <laughs> you know, a collective, which is a very complex being. It's a complex phenomenon. It's way easier to work with individuals. So this has been amazing. And we have, we've been attracting. So who's in the room? You know, the, the clarity about who should be in the room and that this isn't for everybody, you know, and it makes it when we do the other vectors, it gets pretty clear. But, you know, we have like teachers, you know, people whose names you would know, um, you know, amazing people from the world, you know, and, and just very devoted spiritual practitioners and um, people who seem to be coded for this. Right. And it's exciting. And not everybody who does the three day, you know, we take them through the different vectors. There are people that have signed up to do it. And I've recommended that they not do it, that there, you know, that there are other things that I felt would be more useful for them at this time. So it has to serve them and they need to serve it. Um, and so then the first year, you know, there's one level of work that gets done and, you know, it, it further, you know, it's very powerful for people and, and then they can go deeper, you know, because this isn't a course, it's really more of a, I don't know what it is. It's like a, it's not even a membership, but it's, it's being a part of something, you know, it's like a communion of souls with a certain purpose of, of really facilitating this larger consciousness awakening. Yeah, I mean, so, it's really hard to talk about in English yeah. because the duality starts to collapse after a while. So who's in the room matters is one piece. The other thing is that this is actually a new paradigm. So we spend a fair amount of time really having people see that it isn't an extension of what we started, you know, 40 years ago, we met Warner, you know, the individual awakening, the sort of postmodern ability to have, you know, your, our own subjective experience and to be much more attuned to ourselves and to develop ourselves and to, you know, create equality, you know, amongst each other and, you know, for women to have more power and for the various minority groups to have, you know, really come into fullness. That's a different movement. That's not the paradigm that this is being done inside of. And it's, this is not, relational as in interpersonal, you know, people learning how to get their needs met or communicate better. It's that's still two separatenesses. Right. And I think it's important to mention that that work is 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 incredibly valid. And sometimes yeah. sometimes what needs to be front and center. Yeah, it's very important. But it isn't the piece that we're doing. Um, the other thing is for people that understand spiral dynamics or the integral theory, you know, this we really are creating a sort of second, third tier society, you know, that society or culture, like for real, you know, really taking on what are the qualities and developmentally what's missing and what do we need so that we can actually come together um, from a place of non-manipulation, from a place of not networking and the various things that people are doing in different other cultural you know, not healing and not networking. Okay. Right. So then what do you do? You know, like what's possible if you're not healing or networking, you know, or believing in the same thing and, you know, working towards something together, you know, there's some other way of connecting that doesn't have our agenda mixed in and then something larger can start to be orchestrated. But that's, you know, that's a big deal. I mean, it's hard to get people, people's 
motivations really and truly out of the way. So one of the things that we do, which is kind of funny, is people don't actually know like the backstories of who's in the room for a long time. I don't, you know, I don't forbid people, but we don't make it a thing. And so I remember, you know, in New York, I don't know, we had a couple of doctors, you know, MDs, and somebody was like, had been in the group with the person for like two years and had no idea that they were a doctor. It was just funny. You know, it was like they did, and one, one woman's a nun, but she doesn't dress with that habit and stuff. She's just this beautiful woman. And so, you know, a lot of people had no clue that she was a Catholic nun. So it's very cool. So people get to be seen and you start to really deeply relate with people from something much deeper than, you know, their story or, um, you know, their particular resume. Yes. Uh, One thing I'd like to invite you to share about is I know that a lot of your public work now is being done uh, in concert with a gentleman named Jeff. Is it Jeff Carrera? Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, so there's obviously on first glance, there's the male-female dynamic there. But uh, can you talk about kind of the organic process of how that connection unfolded and how integral that is to what is showing up in your work? Sure. Um, so let me just give you like a, a little bit of an overview first, though, that I was developing the work for four years before I invited Jeff to teach with me in New York. So the the vectors, you know, a certain amount of it was happening. And I knew that I was I wanted to not only teach alone, but I also wanted to teach with someone who, you know, who had this as as their core. And um, Jeff worked for Enlightened Next and was sort of the second in command, um, you know, with Andrew Cohen, who, you know, the whole thing has sort of fallen apart. But he was part of a a place that had, you know, I think one of the gifts that it had was that they had an intersubjective awakening. There was a group that Andrew was pushing in a particular way, and they actually had a breakthrough into a kind of unity consciousness that was more impersonal, but it was really powerful. And I have a lot of respect for that. And I know that Jeff really carries that, you know, with him as an emanation. And so when we started to teach together um, three and a half years ago, I guess it was, it's hard to tell, three and a half or four, um, you know, we came together as two different, you know, we have different um what do you call it? Like you and I have some similar things that we've studied or, or trained in. You know, he was sort of coming from a different angle, but we had something that was very core in the center. And we wanted to explore how do you teach like from two different lineages? What was that core something? Well, that, it's that rare you, that you felt with him. Well, I had I mean, I had the awakening with Peter, which came in a, a lover relationship. And he had an awakening with a group that came from a very impersonal intersubjective awakening. But they were both sustained awakenings. That's a pretty rare thing to find that someone has had. So we we shared that as the sort of the meeting place. And, And Jeff is just, you know, 
he's just a beautiful man. He's super smart. He's a philosopher and a very deep and profound meditator. Um, you know, so he, he's a mystic also, um, for sure. And so, and then we just had a personal love and appreciation for each other. Um, so, you know, and he's married, it wasn't, it wasn't romantic in any way, but, you know, there was definitely from that more God place, you know, there was a certain dance of the masculine and feminine that we both could experience being very, very alive. And that's, that absolutely has contributed to the work that we're doing in New York. Um, I'm teaching in California, um, that group I teach on my own and there'll be other places where this will happen with other teachers as well. So the design of this was to, to see how it wanted to unfold. You know, I love teaching by myself as well. Um, and, and to see who else will show up who may be the appropriate people to teach with. And then, and then it will go beyond that is my sense of it. Beautiful. Yeah. And so, and Jeff is, I mean, Jeff and I really dance well together. You know, pe the people in New York seem to really love the particular space that we create together and, um, and that they create with us. So like you said, you know, who's in the room matters. You know, I think each place, will have its own flavor. In your work, do you address either directly or indirectly the implications of your work as it relates to either the health of the physical body or the health of the institutions in our culture at all? Not so much at this point. You know, it doesn't mean that that won't happen, but there's a lot to pay attention to in the garden first. Right. We assume that people are, I mean, one of the things that we have even as a, as one of the agreements is that that people are personally resourced, you know, that they have the resources of their own personal person that they work with, you know, that they're dealing with their health. I mean, this is not, we're not handling that here. We, we can't, we, we don't have enough time and bandwidth to be handling every aspect of someone's life. No, I was just wondering if you've noticed yeah. particular um, stresses and openings uh, for the physical body in relation to the process that your work hmm. uh, unfolds, because, you know, it's, it's part of the unity. It's part of the oneness and the, hmm. the physical body has um, in some ways, a consciousness of its own. And I'm finding that the, uh, that this, this is part of the mystery, the, uh, relationship between the body and the soul and the, you know, the, the, the title of this podcast series is called yeah. freeing the body, freeing the soul. And there's something about that alchemy that is amazing. And I think we're just on the beginning we're just in the beginning stages of understanding the role that DNA plays in both these areas and in the blending of these areas. And I just wondered if you noticed mm -hmm. any particular, like, did have you noticed that the first year people go through a lot of physical detoxification and cleansing? Have you noticed a lot of dietary changes? Have you noticed a lot of people uh, having major shifts 
at that level. And then the other thing I wondered, as I mentioned about the impact on collective institutions, have you noticed many people either changing their work or um, moving or, um, or or taking a particular interest in some aspect of social justice? Have you noticed any of these dynamics at all? Well, I think there's a lot of all of that that happens. Um, I haven't been particularly paying attention to the physical part of it. Um, okay. And I think, you know, I mean, I haven't been sort of tracking that closely because, you know, you have like over 100 people. You don't necessarily know what their health situation is. You know, unless you're tracking that, you don't really know. I guess this is something that I'm yeah. sensitive to because sure. of my work and, and the window that I'm looking from. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think this is a profoundly interesting topic. And um, no, it'd be interesting to, to find out. I mean, I do know that um, as far as the congruence with this higher consciousness, people do let go of relationships. You know, they, you know, one woman who had never been married, she was like 56 totally fell in love and is happily married now. And, you know, it's kind of like there are things that happen, you know, people's lives get lifted in certain ways, kinds of abundance. And, you know, I think people have less tolerance for anything that isn't really congruent. Right. And I have seen, you know, people who have gotten like really healthy diets and have done different kinds of things, you know, that you can see them getting healthier. And, but a lot of, these people are also like in the, the group in, in California. I mean, I have so much respect for who's in the room and many of them are experts in that way, you know, of embodiment of, you know, movement things of right. different kinds of healing. So I think they, a lot of the people sort of already carry that with them. Yeah. I mean, it could be a yeah. self-selected kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it is. I mean, you have what you have, like that's partly why I'm loving being in the Bay area is I realize like the people that are ready for what I'm offering or what I'm trying to facilitate for, you know, for the part of existence that wants this is it's exactly for the people that are here. It's right. for the people that really need to move on from working on themselves or trying to, you know, make a bigger difference. You know, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't keep doing that, but we need those people to come together. We right. need the best people we can find to say, okay, I'm willing to give a certain amount of my time and energy to the joy of being with other amazing people and really seeing what we can create together. And the commitment is really to each other and to what we can create together. I understand. So this is where they are. I mean, this is, there's like a glut of the most gorgeous people here. <laughs> it is a pretty magical place. So it's you're amazing. actually... You're actually living in Sausalito now. I am. I love it. You know, that's, uh, I mean, that that was sort of the uh, the birthing place for a lot of uh, where it all began for, you know, uh, Werner's connection with Alan Watts. And the, was and it Sausalito? Al and Alan Watts's houseboat was birthed in Sausalito. Oh, my God. Really? That's yes. pretty funny. No, I, I, I would never, I didn't pick, I didn't think I would have picked Sausalito, but I ended up renting a beautiful furnished place that has like glass on two windows. So right now I'm looking out over the water through the trees. It's so beautiful. 
And it was just like, oh my God, this is gorgeous. And I had no idea that Sausalito was so, so beautiful. I mean, it's just a beautiful place, but that's very interesting. It's a magical spot. I mean, you have, yeah. it reminds me a little bit of a, some places on the West coast of Norway, where you have, where you have a, a mountain coming right down to the water. Yeah. 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 It's very powerful. Yeah. I'm, I'm like wildly happy because it's so beautiful. I love beauty. And this is, I'm just happy. You know, when I look outside or I take a walk, I'm just, my whole being just gets real happy. When our family did our Christmas card last year, we took our family photo on that main road that goes right by the water. Is Bridgeway. that called Bridgeway? Yes. Uh-huh. And we had the camera angled so that um, someone took the picture for us. And then there was our family. And then in the background, you could see downtown San Francisco. Yeah. Yeah. It it's awesome. Well, Patricia, I, one thing that really comes through for me loud and clear, I mean, it always has in my sense of you, but even deepening through this conversation is your intrepid spirit and how, <laughs> and how, how if you're not on the cutting edge, you feel dead. Yeah, no, th this seems to be where I'm supposed to live, whereas where I was talking, it's funny, I was talking with Rob McNamara, who's an expert at this sort of adult development thing, and I was telling him something about, we were doing a public conversation about where I'm pushing the edge for my guys, you know, for the people. And it's so out there, you know, it's so like, you know, almost most people wouldn't even listen to what I was saying. And he just started laughing, you know, and I just thought, well, but that's where it's happening. You know, I mean, it's so exciting to have awesome people that really want to see what's possible. And it's, it's just a small piece, you know, I mean, everybody's got their part in the, in what we're moving forward, but I definitely, you know, I definitely think that this piece is important, at least for those of us who, who like you, like yourself, you know, really long for where are my other people that I can really play with and we can really do something significant together. Yeah. You know, when you talked about earlier and you, you characterized me as, you know, you just, you want, you're wanting to be seen. And my thought was, you know, that's part of it. You know, being met. Be met, met but that's different than but, seeing. Yeah, yeah, be met, and you know that's part of it, but it's not just to be met to be met. It's to be met partially just to be met because it's so wonderful to be met, but also because there's something to create to express. Yeah, totally from that place too. Yeah, um, well, Tehard would say, you know, which is another piece of the the whole thing is it's creative union. I mean, basically, if you connect on the deepest level of being, then the larger being gets created. If we're connecting in a normal way, it's egoic and it's based on separation. So there's no, nothing actually is getting created that's union. Yeah, you know, as you were uh, just finishing up that sentence and, and bringing in the contrast of the egoic state of consciousness, I had this image of a straitjacket. Yeah. Somebody being in a straitjacket, being yeah. kind of suffocated at the level of motion and movement. And mm -hmm. I think that's really what it is. Yeah. Well, Patricia, we're going to move toward wrapping up this conversation. And I want to leave it to you to share anything that you would like to share in closing and make sure that our listeners have a very easy and clear way to get in touch with you and to learn more about your work if they're interested in doing that. Sure. Um, 
Well, I think first of all, I want to thank you for inviting me and for creating this platform to share with all of the people that will be touched by your work. You're welcome. Because I know it's it takes a lot to make that happen. <laughs> so thank you for doing it. Um, for people, if they want, the best, the very best way to sort of go a little bit deeper into this is to go to mutual-awakening.com. And it's a direct page where um, there's a 77-page ebook that's free um, that shares the story about Peter and this paradigm and we mysticism and a lot of things. Um, and we've had, you know, really positive people love it, you know, seem to love the book. So it's mutualawakening.com and they can download it for free. And then they'll also receive um, a six-week free e-course that kind of takes the material of the of the the book deeper and from there um you know we'll let them know when things are happening and my website um they go to patriciaalbear.com you know i've got all kinds of um audios they can listen to and there's blogs and you know there's like a real wealth of free information um if they're interested so you know it's it's all there so that's mutual-awakening.com? Yep. And that's Patricia Albert, last name spelled A-L-B-E-R-E.com. Right, right. And is there any like final thought or anything just, you'd like to leave the listener with? Yeah, just my invitation is for those of you who you kind of know who you are, you know, if you are one of the people who's sort of ready for what's next, please come. I'm gathering the people. I feel like that's that's a big part of my job is to get the word out so that we can find each other. Well, Patricia, it's been an honor. And uh, let's close with love and peace. Bye for now. Dr. David here again. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Patricia Albert. For me, it was really enjoyable and I learned a lot as well. As I reflect on this interview a few days later, what really strikes me is Patricia Albert's intrepid spirit and her courage and her commitment to this new possibility, which she calls mutual awakening. I know I've been enriched by my time with Patricia Albert, and I hope you have too. So until next time, this is Dr. David wishing you love and peace. Bye for now. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Freeing the Body, Freeing the Soul. To access all episodes, including show notes, go to CuttingEdgeDoc.com. That's CuttingEdgeDoc.com. Lastly, if you love today's show, you can support Dr. David, his work, and the show by going over to iTunes and giving a five-star rating and a heartfelt comment. Thank you again for joining us today and for your commitment to freeing the body, freeing the soul.